We are about to read God's Word together, and uh, we have a practice here at Doolin's Grove of standing, uh, just as a way of saying we honor the reading of God's Word that is different from other books. If you would, stand now with me if you're able, and we'll read from Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 7. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat of it. They said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man will meet you, carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large, furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told him. And they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup which is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for Jesus. And I pray that your word would have the effect that you intend this morning on our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I have two hopes for this service, for this message from God's word. Um, I hope that the Christians in the room will feel loved. Christians in here, I really hope that based on God's word, you will feel loved. I know that many of you are struggling in a variety of ways, and whenever I'm preparing a sermon, I always have an instinct that I want to bring some, like, just really practical, like, what to do in your specific situation kind of sermon. But God's Word doesn't often give us that. More often, it gives us Himself. And that's what our scripture this morning is. And I hope that you feel loved and that feeling loved by God in this way will bring about all kinds of practical benefits. And that you could say with Paul what he says in Romans 8. He says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justified. Who is who justifies? Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, and also who intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? 
Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor debt depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm hoping that you'll feel loved like that this morning. That's my hope for those in here who are Christians. Now, I have a hope for those who are in here and are not Christians. My hope for you is that you will see that you're missing something. That you'll see that something is missing. Like a child at Christmas. Have you ever seen a child at Christmas who gets so excited about the present and so distracted by the box that they haven't yet realized the awesome gift that's inside the box? Some of us are so enamored with the the box of our faith and our religious stuff that we haven't yet seen the gift of Jesus Christ that's in there. And I'm hoping that those of you who have not yet discovered that will discover that this morning. Um, So we're going to answer three questions from just one verse. We're really going to zero all the way in on verse 20, back in Luke chapter 22. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. There's three questions I'm going to try to answer for you this morning. What is a covenant? What is the new covenant? And am I a part of the new covenant? Not am I a part of the new covenant. You're asking of yourself. Are you a part of the new covenant? Those are my three questions. So what is a covenant? A covenant is more intimate than a contract. Like when you, when you get a cell phone, you sign a contract. But that's not a covenant. A covenant is also more formal than just a promise. We have some youths in the high school youth group that I minister to who they say all kinds of things. Hey, I'll be there. It doesn't always translate into reality. Promises, promises, promises are informal. You throw them out there. They're not really all that valuable all the time. A covenant is more formal, more serious than a promise, but way more intimate than a contract. So here's the definition I've come up with, piecing together other people's ways of defining it. A covenant is a bond between two parties based on the most serious of commitments. A covenant is a bond between two parties Two individuals, and it's based on the most serious of commitments. So think marriage vows. Those of you who are married, who's married? I find it's just good to get the blood flowing sometimes on a Sunday morning. Think back, those of you who are married, or those of you who maybe aren't married but have been to ceremonies, to the wedding vows, that part of the service. It's very intimate. The husband or the the bride and groom are looking at each other in the eyes, and it's just a very sacred, intimate moment. Yet, it's also extremely formal. There's a minister there leading them through, reciting the vows, and there's a, a ton of witnesses around. It's deeply intimate, deeply formal, and it's forging a bond between two people based on their commitment to each other. That's that's a covenant. So when you get married... You, you look at your bride or your groom and you say, I will love you, I will comfort you, I will honor you, I will keep you. 
for good or bad, for richer or poor, in sickness and health, all these things, I am here to honor this covenant. So if things are good, I'm keeping the covenant. I will love you. If things are bad, I'm keeping the covenant. I will love you. If we're rich, filthy rich, I'm keeping this covenant. I will love you. If we're completely, pathetically poor, I'm keeping this covenant. I will love you. It doesn't matter. This is a bond that we have forged. That's kind of like the covenant we're talking about this morning. Only, I think we can all agree, a marriage covenant, those vows, those are important. Right? Everybody feel like that's pretty important? It's very important. It's probably the most important commitment a man or woman can make here on this earth. Except for the new covenant that we're about to talk about. The new covenant, the covenant that Christ brought, that he's referring to here, is infinitely more important than a marriage covenant. If marriage is, follow me with this analogy, if marriage is like a really nice poster of Hawaii, if marriage is a really nice poster of Hawaii, like a beach and it just looks beautiful, the new covenant is a one-way ticket to Hawaii, all expenses paid with your own estate right on the beach. Like that's the, that's the contrast between new covenant, marriage covenant. Just to give you an idea of how important, how serious this is what we're talking about. So that's what a covenant is. What is the new covenant that Jesus is talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to have to flip to another scripture to find out because Jesus doesn't elaborate on it here. But we know this is what he's talking about. And I'd like for you to flip there. If you have your Bible, flip to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, about almost midway in the middle of your Bible. Jeremiah, chapter 31, beginning at verse 31. Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 31. This is the new covenant when it was promised years and years and years and years and years and years before Jesus brought it about at the Lord's Supper. Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 31. The prophet says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord. And here it is. He describes the promises that he makes. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. The new, the new covenant that Jesus is bringing about is the bond between God and his people, his special chosen people. He doesn't make this bond with every person. With some people. It's the bond between God and his people in which he commits to enable his people to be his people, 
to write his law in their hearts and to forgive them for their failures to be his people, to forgive their sins. Those are the two big promises of the new covenant. I'll write my law in your heart and I'll forgive all of your failures to keep my law. Now, I know that may feel a little abstract. I'm going to try to concretize it a little bit here. That is a word. God says, did you catch in there? He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. I knew that this would be a somewhat packed service because we're doing communion. I mean, packed time-wise. So I cut something out of my sermon that I was going to bring to you. It was a whole sheet of paper of scriptures where God says something like this, where he expresses his desire to have a special people. He says, I'll be their God, they'll be my people. He says it. I've probably found at least 20 different ways where he said, I'm going to come live with you. I'm going to come dwell with you. And you'll be my people. And I'll be your God. This has been his desire all throughout history. And so he's made covenants with people. He made one with Adam. He made one with Noah. He made one with Abraham. He made one with Moses. He made one with David. All these covenants came with rules and laws. And he said, here, you do these things. And you'll be my people, and I'll be your God. But at every step, mankind rebelled, broke those laws, became guilty of sin. It just never really worked. Never really caught on. Take Moses, for for example. This whole Passover thing where Jesus is having this meal, that was remembering back to the days of Moses. Now, many of you will remember this. God, God had formed his special people, Israel, They had been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And God rose up Moses to come and say, Pharaoh, let my people go. God said that for me to tell you. Let my people go. 430 years. So God performs 10 amazing, miraculous plagues on Egypt so that Egypt would eventually just spit the people out and say, okay, go, go, be God's people, worship your God, just get out of here so God will stop plaguing us. The tenth plague was the death of every firstborn in Egypt. So God told Moses to tell Egypt, you still not let the people go. This is the final plague. You will let them go. The angel of death is going to come through Egypt and kill every firstborn from among you. Not even just the humans, even the animal firstborn would die. But God would pass over the homes of the Israelites, hence Passover, if they slaughtered a lamb and painted the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. And he told them, he even told them like how to eat that meal that night. He said, get all dressed, get ready to go, get your staff, get yourself put together and eat that meal standing up because you're about to, to leave. So he did it. He freed his people after 430 years of slavery. I'm not going to ask who's the oldest person in the sanctuary. But obviously, not even close to 430 years old. 430 years is about 17 generations. So like right now, if if you're trying to think 430 years in the future, what would that be like? It would be like your great-grandchild's 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 probably another great-grandchild's generation. It's a long time. America has been a country, a sovereign, a free country for, I think, about 235 years. So almost half as long as Israel was enslaved in Egypt. That's all they knew. 
Some of you got, we can't even imagine America not being what it is today. But it's only, it's kind of a baby. These people have been enslaved forever. It's all they knew. And God brought them out with a strong hand. It was amazing. And he said, here, you will be my people. I will be your God. Brings them out, brings Moses up on the mountain and says, here, Ten Commandments. You guys are going to be my people. Writes them on the tablets. I'm assuming it sounded basically like that. Moses comes down the mountain with the tablets. Do you remember what happened before he even got back down to the people? God's people. To show them what God had said, how God would like them to live. This God that just freed them from 430 years of slavery with all these miracles. Before he even came down the mountain with the tablets, they were already worshiping idols. And dancing around like fools, worshiping a golden cow. And Moses like, ah, crashes them down. He's so mad. God's angry. All that to say, God's people have always had a problem with this being God's people thing. They've always been rebellious, and they've always been guilty of sin. Every mediator of every covenant up to this point has been a sinner. Adam. How did things go with Adam? Not great. Noah. You know, God got so sick of the sin that he just wiped it all out, but Noah and his family made a new covenant with Noah. It was like a couple of generations, and they were building a huge tower to the heavens saying, we're basically gods. We're so awesome. They just forgot about God. Blew it. Who's next? Adam, Noah, Abraham. Takes Abraham. He's going to be a special people. But even Abraham's descendants sinned and rebelled. Moses, we just talked about how things went there. David, things didn't go well there either. Every mediator of all of God's covenant was was sinners. But this covenant is different. The mediator of this new covenant is who? Who? Jesus. Yes. This is a new covenant. God is doing something new here. But that's not the only reason it's different. The two promises God makes in his covenant. I'll enable you to live the way I want you to live. He says in verse 33 in Jeremiah, I'll put my law within them, and on their heart I'll write it. I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. The law isn't written on stone tablets anymore. When it was Moses in that day, God wrote his law on stone tablets, and it was something out there. Let's just say we had the original Ten Commandments there on the wall. It's something there for us to work toward. But they failed every time. But this new covenant, the law won't be written on external stone tablets. It'll be written inside you, in your heart. It won't be something out there for you to work toward. It's something in here for you to work from. It's not some rule that it's your duty to obey. It's a way of life that it's your, your privilege to be enabled to live out. It's totally different. It's totally new. I, I was trying to think of a way to make this concrete. And I struggled, but the closest analogy I can come up with is me and my son Elias. I use him as an example every Sunday. But if you have kids, you know that God teaches you a lot if you're trying to be a mom or a dad. I want Elias to obey me. Not because I'm some 
dictator in my home and it's my way or the highway, but I really believe that I know better than he does how he ought to live. I really think that I know better than my, my four-year-old how he should interact with people, how he should interact with speeding cars going down the road. He shouldn't. Now, he doesn't believe that all the time, but I really believe that. But all I can do, the only power I have over my son is to stand outside apart from him and implore him to obey me. You know, I can discipline him when he doesn't. There's ways to teach, and I'm hopefully learning more. But all I can do is stand on the outside and implore him, please, son, I'm your dad, I love you, and I know better than you do what's good for you. Please obey me. Now, God basically did that for a long time. But in the new covenant, he does something that I cannot do for Elias. He actually changes his people's hearts to want to obey. It would be as if, if I could change Elias' heart so that I'm no longer from the outside imploring him to obey. I'm on the inside enabling him to obey. See, you, you cannot be good enough to be God's people. You're not good people. I'm looking at all of you specifically. You are not a good person. You're not. And I'm not. You can't be good enough. You can't be churchy enough. Because we care too much about ourselves. But the promise of the new covenant is, I will save you from that. I will actually change your heart so that you actually want what's best for you, which is me, and to obey my law. It's amazing. That's the new covenant. The new covenant isn't imploring us to act right from the outside. It's empowering us to act right from the inside. It's moving us from this dutiful relationship with God where, well, I know I really should obey It's removing us from that dutiful relationship to a desirous relationship, from duty to desire. And that makes a huge difference. And you know it does. It's the difference between a parole officer and a mentor. It's the difference between a high school senior and a college freshman, ideally. High school seniors there because they have to. Ideally, a college freshman is there because they want to. And it is a big difference. It's the difference between a paid escort and a loving spouse. It makes a big difference. God doesn't want you trying to dutifully obey laws. He wants you to let him put that in your heart. Change your desires. So that's the first part of the new covenant. The second part, the forgiveness of our failure to live as God's people. In verse 34, he says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Okay, I just called everyone in here bad people, including myself. I want you to think about the worst, most regrettable, most shameful thing you've ever done, thought you've ever thought, words you've ever said. Get it in your mind. What is the worst thing that you've done? We've all done bad things. Said bad things, thought bad things. 
What's the worst one you can remember? The one you'd be most ashamed of if it was projected up on that wall. Now that you have that in your mind, think of the last person in the universe that you would want to be aware of that. That thing you did, that thing you said, that thing you thought. Who is the last person you would ever want to find out about this? Now imagine that for some reason they do find out about this. And when they do, they say, don't even worry about it. I forgive you. I don't even, I'm not even going to remember it a minute from now. It's water under the bridge. It's kind of freeing, isn't it? That's the new covenant. Forgiveness and a promise that he won't even remember our sins. I, I have never come up with a better illustration for this than the one I'm about to give you. And I'm sorry if you've heard it before. But I stole this illustration from a preacher named Mark Driscoll. And supposedly, this is a true story that happened in his church. This is the best illustration I have for what this forgiveness is like. There was a married couple in his church. They'd been married, I I don't remember the details, let's say about a decade, about 10 years. During the first year of their marriage, the wife committed adultery. Had an affair committed adultery with another man during the first year of their marriage. The husband never found out. He didn't know anything about it. The wife ended this thing, that first year thing. Husband never found out. But for the next nine years, she lived with that guilt and that shame and that fear and that just gurgling turmoil inside of her that she had done this thing. This, the worst betrayal she could have could have committed against her husband she had done in the first year of their marriage. Now, one evening, it got to be too much for her. She couldn't stand it anymore, him not knowing, her carrying the secret around. So she just, through tears, just laid it all out for him. Said, in our first year of marriage, I committed adultery. I had an affair, and I haven't told you because I was afraid of what you would do. And I can't take it anymore, and I've just got to tell you. And he just turned around and he just walked out the door into his car and drove away. Didn't say a word. And he didn't come back for hours. And she was just devastated during those hours. She was just weeping and crying. She didn't know where he went. Was he ever coming back? Had she ruined it all? But he did come back. He came back and he came through the front door with a box. And he took his wife by the hand and he brought her to the master bedroom. He didn't say a word and she's... Tears just pouring down her face. He put the box on the bed and he undressed her. And he opened the box and he pulled out a perfect white nightgown. Brand new from the store. And he put it on her. And he looked her in the eyes and said, I choose to see you the way God sees you. You are forgiven and it is forgotten. That's the new covenant. That's the new covenant. So question number three, am I in the new covenant? Some of you may be wondering, okay, is this for me? Because it's not for everybody. It's for Christians. So you may be wondering, am I in the new covenant? In just a moment, we're going to take communion, and communion is 
for those who are part of the new covenant. It is for Christians. You don't have to be a member here, but you do need to be a Christian. Well, I have two questions. A two-question test. Am I in the new covenant? Question number one. Have you had an encounter with Jesus that has sparked in you a desire to do as God says? In other words, is your deepest desire, when you think about it, to find out what God says and submit to what God says? Because that is a characteristic of someone in the New Covenant. They have God's law written on their heart, the the seat of their desire. Now, some of you, that may still be fuzzy. You might not quite understand what I mean. um, I've had some counseling opportunities in my time in ministry, and some of them will be related to sinful uh, patterns in life, sins that people can't break. And we'll talk, and sometimes that'll lead to even questioning our salvation. I mean, if I'm sinning like this, can I even be saved? And as we talk, what I usually try to do is dig down and find out, well, what's your deepest desire here? Is your deepest desire to pursue this sin? Or is your deepest desire to be freed from it so you can obey God? Because people under the new covenant, their deepest desire is God's law. Now, churchy people sometimes only avoid sin because it's socially unacceptable. So which are you? Are social norms the only thing that keep you from just living an outrageously sinful lifestyle? You don't leave your wife because what's everybody going to think of me if I do that? You don't get drunk all the time because people are going to notice that or whatever the sin may be. Am I in the new covenant? Question number two. Have you had an, an encounter with Jesus that has freed you from feelings of condemnation? Paul says, there, there is now, therefore, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, your sins are forgiven and forgotten. When you enter into the new covenant, there is a very real release from the guilt and the burden and the weight of your sins. Have you experienced that? Because that's a characteristic of someone in the new covenant. On the other hand, there may be some of you who are weighed down with guilt and shame and regret and remorse, and you carry it around with you to church and you hope that you can do enough churchy stuff or you can be nice enough, give enough money to make that feeling go away. That's not the new covenant. The new covenant is forgiveness and forgetfulness of your sin. So if you answer yes to those two questions, I invite you to very joyfully partake in communion here in a moment. But if you're not sure or the answer is definitely no, then let the plate pass and instead use that time to cry out to God to save you. Before I invite the deacons to come forward, for our communion service. Let's just spend just a moment just in silence and prayer, preparing our hearts for communion. Would you bow with me? Father, I pray for everyone in here right now that you would 
search their hearts and reveal to them where they stand with you. May every person in here be crystal clear in their mind as to whether or not they are in the new covenant. We need your help because we don't understand ourselves. Our hearts are very difficult for us to understand. Please make clear to each of us if we have your law written on our hearts, if we have been forgiven from all of our sins. Lord, for those who who may be in here who have gone to church forever and who may be numb to the gospel, I pray that you would take away that numbness and help them hear it afresh. God, don't let any of us walk out of here still under the condemnation of our sins, still unable to be your people. And Lord, for those of us who are, as we partake of these elements that that signify the new covenant, Lord, may they be powerful to us. May they be much more than just a small piece of bread and a small cup of juice. I pray the Holy Spirit would work into our hearts the deep, the depth of the meaning of these things. For your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.